So we're going to look in Luke uh, chapter 16, should come up on the screen, uh, and verses 9 to 12, and then we'll skip across to 2 Corinthians 8 before Andy comes and, and shares with us. So Luke 16, verse 9. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And then turning to 2 Corinthians Uh, 8 verses 1 to 12 and this is where Paul is writing about generosity encouraged and what's going on with the Macedonians and uh, how generosity if you like is breaking out under trial and now brothers we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches out of the most severe trial their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So as we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion the act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Father, thank you for your living word. Thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet, that it's a light for our path. And Lord, we pray now that you would change every heart by the truth of your word and that you'd speak through Andy and all that he's prepared for us to hear, that by your spirit, every one of us would have a little bit more understanding of your grace and all that you've given up for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So Andy Mackey now, our leader, one of our leaders is going to come and speak to us. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. And uh, have I got sound? Yeah, fantastic. Um, there's, uh, I want to tell you really about a guy, um, warn you. Um, there's a guy who went camping and uh, probably somewhere in West Wales. It was incredibly wet. And uh, he's a city guy and his car gets stuck in the mud. He gets absolutely stranded on this campsite. There's no way out. Um, Unfortunately for him, there's a farmer passing by 
And the farmer comes, he says, I've got the solution. He says, I've got this incredibly strong mule that you can have. And uh, he will pull out your car, no problem, 100 pounds. So the guy's very eager to get out. So he pays him the 100 pounds. And he says, when can you get the mule round? He said, well, unfortunately, it won't be till tomorrow. Uh, but first thing in the morning, the mule will be there. So first thing in the morning, he comes, he's waiting for this, this guy to come around. Anyway, the mule, the farmer turns up with the mule on the back, but the mule is dead. And uh, the farmer says, well, I'm really sorry. He says, the guy, the, the, the mule died overnight, so he's not as strong as he was. Um, but he said, I've spent your 100 pounds, so I'm not giving you your money back, but you can have the mule still. And so the guy thinks about it, and he's like, this, I'm being absolutely conned here. But uh, anyway, he says, okay, I'm a city guy. He said, I've got one or two tricks up my, up my sleeve. I will take the dead mule and I'll show you how to make money even on a dead mule. So he decides that he's gonna raffle the mule. So uh, anyway, sometime later, they meet up to find out whatever happened with this. And it turns out that this guy's made a profit selling this mule, raffling the mule. And he says, well, how did you do it? He said, well, I sold 100 tickets, two pound a pop, and uh, I made 98 pound profit. And he said, I can't believe nobody complained. He said, well, funnily enough, he said, one guy complained, but I gave him his money back. And uh, I, wa I wanted to let you know about that so that you do not fall for the dead mule scam. Okay, it will be out there on emails, on these phone calls that you get, or even some dodgy raffle ticket, but you've heard it first here, forewarned is forearmed uh, on the dead mule scam. But there are so many money scams out there that we have become overly protective about everything that we have and everything that we own. And uh, it's not surprising as we look through the Gospels, but perhaps if you, it might be surprising how much Jesus speaks about money, how much the New Testament says about money, five times more on money than prayer. Um, 16 of Jesus' parables are about money. Clearly an important issue. And so I want to unpack some of the New Testament teaching in this part of our series that will give us a, a new perspective on money, um, a model of new generosity, and introduce us to a new currency um, that we can invest in. Firstly, a new perspective. And uh, we, we've looked at this before a little bit, but the parable of the shrewd manager, Jesus says some uh, incredible words that were read to us. He says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. And that'll probably keep us busy for most of the day. Whoever is dishonest with very little will always also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And we don't always easily notice the pattern here, but Jesus uses um, uh, a literary device called parallelism. There's three parallel verses, verses 10, 11, and 12. And if you look at them and start to compare them uh, kind of above each other, you then discover that he's talking about worldly wealth, the money that we have in this age, and he says two things about it. Firstly, it is very little, and secondly, it's someone else's property. And then also, in the white column, he talks about true riches in the age to come. Um, and he says, here there is much, and it is your own property. So all the black stuff on the left relates together and those comments on the right, the white things, relate together. And if you look at these verses, they are absolutely staggering, however many times you look at them, as to challenging in our hearts and lives. Because what he says is worldly wealth, the money you get in this life compared to true riches, is very little. Very little. And the illustration that I like to use on this, it is like getting this for your Sunday lunch. 
It is like getting one bean on a plate. It is a big plate and it is one small bean and nothing else. And my guess is you would be disappointed if you got that for your Sunday dinner. Some of you may be getting that. And uh, anyway, I'm going to start the arguments. But Jesus implies that worldly wealth in comparison to true riches is like one bean. Now some of you have had a hard life and some of you have only got half a bean. Some of you have done incredibly well, you've got two beans. But the reality is that whatever we have, it is very little. Secondly, and perhaps more stunning, is not only is it very little, but it's someone else's property. We get a bean and it's not even mine. It's someone else's. Um, guess whose it is? Okay, it's God's bean. Okay, and he's just let me have this bean and he says, I basically trust you with this and as my trustee of it, I want you to use it for my purposes and use it because you're not the owner but you're entrusted with it. And so these verses give us a completely different perspective on uh, worldly wealth. And we can have two mentalities to this. One is you can have the scarcity mentality or the second is a sufficiency mentality. And uh, probably most of us are prone to the scarcity mentality. And that looks like this. I only have one bean. So I am going to guard the bean with all my life. I'm going to protect the bean. I'm going to keep the bean. I cannot lose this bean. Okay, it's the only bean I've got. So I don't want it to be damaged. I'm going to put it in a jar. I'm going to hide the bean. This is my bean. It's the only one. So you're not getting a taste of it. That's the scarcity mentality. Exaggerated. The sufficiency mentality says, hey guys, this is only, it's only a bean. It's only a bean. You might, go on, you might as well have it. It's only a bean. There's a whole Sunday roast coming. There's a whole Sunday dinner coming up ahead. So you might as well have this bean kind of here. I'm going to risk this bean. I'm going to plant it. I'm going to multiply it. I'm going to find as many creative ways to make this, this bean do something useful. Um, I want to ask the question, how can I turn this bean into a blessing? And uh, because I know that up ahead, there is a Sunday roast. There is true riches. There is much of it. There's property of my own. And the scarcity mentality paralyzes us because we hold on to it. We think if we give it away, oh, they win, but I lose. Whereas the sufficiency mentality says, actually, as I give it, they win and I win because it's something better up ahead. So it's into that that we then get to 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 1 that says this is the grace that God had given the Macedonian churches. This is the, the grace, this is the revelation of God's generosity that he had planted in the hearts of the Macedonian church. They had understood that this generosity of God, the God who gave his only son, they, he gave him completely so that others might live. And so out of this new perspective comes an overflow of new generosity. And so Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And they have eagerly said that they would give, they would take up an offering to bless this other church in Judea who were now really struggling. And this was a promise they'd made about a year ago, but it never materialized. The offering had never arrived. And so Paul writes to them and he challenges them by highlighting the financial generosity of the churches further north in Macedonia. And they were real grace givers. 
Verse two, it says, out of their most severe trial, their overflowing joy, their extreme poverty, welled up to rich generosity. And so their generosity, he says, has nothing to do with life going well for them. They don't have a surplus. It says, out of the most severe trial, life is incredibly difficult for the Macedonian church and yet they want to be generous. He says that generosity has nothing to do with them having plenty. Okay, they gave out of their extreme poverty. Okay, tough, tough, tough situation. He says that grace giving has nothing to do with what they thought was affordable. Verse three, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability because they have the, it's only a bean mentality. Take it, have it, blessed, be blessed by it. And their grace giving has nothing to do with being coerced. It says that they urgently pleaded with us, please let us give, please can, can we give, can we give some more, can we have an extra offering? Please let us share in this privilege of sharing with the servants um, and the saints, the service of the saints. Freely God has given to us, freely we wanna give away. They have grasped uh, incredibly deeply the grace of God out of their most severe trial, their extreme poverty, overflowing joy, welling up to rich generosity. And this is a mindset, it's a kingdom mindset and nothing to do with their circumstances. Nothing to do with their circumstances. And so Paul encourages the Corinthian church to bring the promise of an offering to completion. He says, these guys can do it out of that. How much more can you guys do it? He says, you were willing, but actually you need to deliver it. We wanna see it actually come to fruition. So verse seven, just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. And verse nine, it is based on Jesus. It comes out of the gospel. Jesus who gave up everything. He gave up his riches and his comfort of the glories of heaven. He gave all of that up and stepped out into our world and was born on this planet with nothing in this world. He gave up everything so that we could gain everything. And when we embarked out on our vision as a church, uh, probably a year or two back now, two years, um, of reaching across, multiplying our services, multiplying our sites, wanting to be as effective as possible as reaching as many people across the city as, as possible, uh, to up the ante on our youth and children's and schools, kind of mission work and outreach. Um, uh, Ruth and I kind of willingly committed to that vision and we wanted to say, yeah, let's, let's put what we can into that. And for the next five years, let's, let's up our giving, let's extra above our normal regular proportional giving. And this passage reminds me of that commitment because it is so easy to forget. Verse 11, he says, now finish the work so that, you eager, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. And the reason for that is that there is a whole new currency. The new perspective, new generosity that we see because there's a new currency at work here. Because what we can do is we can exchange worldly wealth for true riches. We can invest our, our finances, finances of this world and our incomes, whatever, for true riches. There's an exchange that you can go to. You can go to the exchange bureau in this world. And I started this currency change many years ago. 
uh, fairly early on in my Christian life, um, I started to give uh, a proportion of, of whatever I got coming in. Um, 10% is kind of where I started regularly to God through the church as that starting point. And here's the thing, one of the things that I also recognize now is that I saw a number of people also come to faith around that time. Um, I was living with internationals and there was a guy from uh, Kenya became a Christian, there was a girl from Scotland, there was a guy from Ecuador, there was a guy from Pakistan, there was a, a guy from uh, Brazil. Um, and it wasn't directly because of that, but there's, there's a link, there's somehow Jesus says there's a link between how we give and what we give and the kingdom of God coming in people's lives. So Luke 16 again, verse nine, it says, Jesus said, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And those that welcome us will be those who have come to faith, those who have turned to God, some, those that have been blessed in some way that has brought them to God, and they will be there at the end of the age. There'll be riches there because of the time that we've given, because of the money that we've invested. Um, in the gospel and in the kingdom of God. And so we're to use our money to spread this amazing news about God. We're to use our money to, to bless others so that it points people to God. Because ultimately, we're not defined by how much worldly wealth we have. We're defined by what we have in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, we are not defined by what we have on earth. We're defined by what we have in the kingdom of heaven. And so going back to our bean, if this bean is gonna grow and multiply, it has to be activated. So I did a bit of biology over the years and there's lots of ways you can activate beans. You know, sometimes it's, you water them, sometimes you, an animal's got to eat them, sometimes it's a, f a forest fire that activates it, different ways. But with a bean, generally you stick it in the soil and you water it and it's got a kind of life to it and it begins to grow and it takes root and it, and it grows and it produces other beans and it multiplies and it becomes a bean producing bean as it were. But there's a key to activating it. It doesn't germinate in my pocket. It doesn't germinate in the darkness. Okay, it only starts to grow and the key is to give it. Okay, is, is to be generous with it. And as, as that happens, as it's marked by the grace of God, then it becomes part of the, the, the solution and God's grace into our world and into our lives. As we willingly and generously, out of God's grace, begin to give it away. And so there's a whole new perspective on worldly wealth that leads to a new generosity with someone else's property that invests in a whole new currency, true riches. Um, in 2006, uh, well, there was a family waiting at some traffic lights in uh, America, in Atlanta. And uh, there was a 14-year-old girl in the back called Hannah, and she's looking out of a window, and she sees a homeless guy on this side begging for food, and she sees uh, someone else driving a black Mercedes coupe. And so she turns to her dad and she says, Dad, if, if that man there had a less nice car, then maybe that man there could have a meal. And she was pretty insistent about this idea and they had a lot of debates about it and she wanted to do something um, about the inequality that she saw. And so her dad said, well, actually, Hannah, if we had a less nice car, that guy could probably have a meal. 
And so they began to discuss this seriously around the kitchen table as a family, as what could they do to address the inequality around the place. And over the months, they decided that actually they, they were ridiculously well off in many ways. They had a $2 million house for a family of about four or five or something. And they said, well, actually, we don't need this. I think they'd inherited it or something. But they said, if we sell this, we can give half of it away to charity and downsize. Now, that's still probably a reasonable house. But nevertheless, that's what they decided to do and buy a modest replacement. And they discovered a whole lot of other things. They discovered, and our dad says, that the knock-on benefits were even better. A smaller house meant a more family-friendly house. We essentially traded stuff for togetherness and connectedness. And they went on to write a book called The Power of a Half, because they're given half away. And they say this, they say the aim isn't to get people to sell their houses, you might be glad to know, but simply to encourage people to step off the treadmill of accumulation, to define themselves by what they give and not by what they possess. For us, says Hannah, the house was just something we could live without. It was way too big for us. But she says, everyone has too much of something, whether it is time, whether it is talent, or whether it is treasure, as it was in this case. Everyone does have their own half. You just have to find it. And there's a challenge there, and there's a, there's a motivational story there um, of generosity out of materialism gone, gone mad in our world. But God's story isn't even just a half. God's story is he gave all. He gave everything. Verse nine, the heart of the gospel. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes, for my sake, he became poor. Why? So that you, through his poverty, might become rich that we might be forgiven, that we might be accepted, that we might be loved, that we might be blessed, that we might have life in all its fullness, both now and for eternity, for the age to come and beyond. Let's pray. It may be this morning that actually just for you yourself, you've never thanked God for all that he's given for you. And uh, you can just quietly pray in your own heart a prayer of, of saying thank you that you, you gave everything. You gave your life so that I could be forgiven. And just quietly echo these words uh, in your hearts. Lord, I thank you that you gave your life for me. I ask you to forgive me for my selfishness, for my independence, things that I've got wrong. Forgive me, Lord. Thank you that that is possible. And I pray now that you begin to lead my life and start to mark my life with this grace that you talk about. Amen. But I also want to pray for, for others here this morning who have given. You've given out of, out of poverty. You've given out of wealth. And just this morning, just a reminder that actually nothing you've ever given has not accomplished something for the kingdom of God. That it has reached people's lives, it has reached places that you know nothing of, 
but it has been multiplied. And one day you will see something of that. But just an encouragement from God of all that has gone. That we thank you that you multiply our little. But thirdly, just to come afresh this morning and for each one of us to say to God, activate the bean. Lord, just afresh, mark our lives with your grace. Mark our generosity with your grace. Open our eyes, Lord, to see uh, what we could give in a way that will set us free. Forgive us for that scarcity mentality, Lord. Break the power of it in our lives as we give. In Jesus' name, amen.